I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Alrighty, welcome to the Celtics Up Podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. The music you just heard comes from Divine Sweater. They're on tour somewhere in the continental United States. Check it out. For now, I'm going to talk to Dr. Justin Quinn, the third member of the Celtics Lab Podcast, and the spotlight for today, because in the second half of the podcast, you're going to listen to a conversation Justin had with Derek Fisher of formerly a rival of the Boston Celtics fame, but now he has a new project that uh, Justin and Derek are going to talk about later. For now, Justin, you and I are going to talk about the red-hot Boston Celtics, Derek White becoming a daddy, and all of our other like early season musings. How does that sound? Sounds pretty good. Uh, I am getting excited for the NBA Mexico City game, which is happening here on Thursday, so maybe I will have a couple of snippets from a for- couple of formal, formal, former Celtics uh, coming to you next week. Yeah, if anyone is in Mexico or the Spanish-speaking world or just interested in the NBA, reaching out to that part of the world, go check out Justin. But make sure you're following him on appropriate social platforms for that reason. Because we got a boots-on-the-ground guy who can speak English and Spanish. How's that? Okay. Um, And I would have tried to say that in Spanish, but I I don't know how to do the subjunctive. So if you were a fan already, I'm, I'm lost. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the news. The Celtics are good. They are 5-0 at the time of this recording. They could be 6-0 by the time many people listen to this, or 5-1, which is nothing to sneeze at. So we won't talk too much about being undefeated versus not because we don't know what's going to happen tonight in Minnesota. But good win against the Knicks. Come back-ish win, or they were stagnant, and then good win against Miami. Uh, you can't call it a good win against the Wizards. The Wizards stink. Very good win against the Pacers, and a pretty solid win against the Nets. That's how we got here. Justin, uh, what are your major takeaways from Boston's very, very, very good start to the season? They have not played any contenders. Yeah, Miami looks not very good. No, and they're also very, very good. I don't want to take away from it, but we do need to contextualize the fact that they've probably played at most 1.5 playoff teams, if we're being honest. Yeah, I, I guess we're doing the rain cloud thing because Indiana was up without Halliburton. Brooklyn was out without a bunch of people. The Wizards are without quality NBA players. Um, Miami was without uh, Caleb Martin. The Knicks, but they beat the Knicks. That was a good one. Yeah, uh, the trend lines are easy to find if you want them to be the trend lines, right? Like the offense is five wide and it's super explosive. The defense as a bunch of guys being competitive with themselves about how good they can be at playing defense on an individual level. Tatum does look like an MVP. All of those things are true. I don't know that the data is like particularly rich to anchor that, but you could go around the league and for everyone's good or bad or medium start, you could probably pick it apart. So let's, let's say that it's meaningful data, 
what do you think is the takeaway that is most sustainable? Uh, I think probably that the post play that we're seeing from Tatum and Porzingis has been a critical element uh, that the defense has been more important than it was billed coming into the season and that the bench uh, only really needs to have one guy score kind of near double figures as long as they are doing everything else. For once, they do not need the bench to score, but they probably do need to find some regular guys who can put some points up when they're called on. Yeah, the the bench has been the early thing to worry about. And again, however much you want to read into the data, the data has not been that favorable to the bench. We will see. When guys start taking real scheduled rests, or tonight, for example, in Minnesota, Derek White, who had a second child, congratulations to him and his wife, um, and is not going to be playing in Minnesota. Chris Porzingis might be out. Brissett might be out. So suddenly we might actually see Hauser and Peyton and others play consequential minutes we might get a better sense of like how good or bad this depth is. Cause I don't think Boston needs a second unit that looks the way you, you would think a second unit looks like, cause they can stagger their stars as much as they want. So it really comes down to if they go long stretches without one of their top six guys or without two or three of their top six guys, what does that look like? And we just haven't seen it yet. Um, but <laughs> you got to nitpick something, right? I mean, one of the things that I've been really excited about is the rebounding. Um, it looks so the, the rebounding and, and and we talked about this last time we talked. Joe Mazzulla was not uh, generous with explaining whether or not this is a system thing or individual effort thing. But between all the chase down blocks and the haranguing people on the perimeter, these really nice uh, offensive rebounding nights, it does seem like Boston's players are individually making it their business to make these plays rather than it's a product of system with respect to James Harden. So I'm curious about that, how long that lasts. Like if you'll remember when Kyrie was was here, he talked a big game about he and Marcus Smart uh, had a contest for how many steals they could get a game or something. And that lasted all of like four weeks. And, you know, maybe that is a particularly flaky person. History would suggest as such. But I am curious to see how engaged the Celtics are for the breadth of the regular season. I mean, at the very least, the model is there. Like, in an individual quarter, I mean, Pacers stink, but they scored 44 in the first quarter and then 46 in the fourth quarter. That's pretty freaking remarkable. So the model of this super five wide offense with Porzingis in particular, like really spreading the floor and then just guys being dogs on defense, like that's outstanding brand of basketball. It's a very exciting brand of basketball. Okay. And this has been not been particularly organized, but uh, I, I had more takes about this than I thought. Um, Anything that we've missed from the first few weeks of Celtics basketball? So one of the other sticking points uh, that has been coming up and has been to a certain extent, uh, shall we say, justified is the Celtics continuing to trust Luke Cornett and me being a vocal critic of that decision. He played like the kind of player they need for a third big in the Celtics uh, last game versus the Brooklyn Nets, where he put up 11 points and seven rebounds, which I think uh, by consensus of what I've been hearing, we all kind of think that this is this is about the best we're going to see from Luke. But on yeah. nights when he needs to be the guy, uh, when he is either when, they're, either when they're going double big and he needs to play more minutes that way, or even more so on nights when they have a big man out, like perhaps uh 
versus Minnesota, they might be without uh, Chris Epps Porzingis because I think it was you told me uh, they has a sty in his eye. That is the kind of injury we probably, if we have to have an injury to a player, you know, that's about as light as it can get. But I mean, he would still have to play, right? And in those situations during the regular season, if he isn't quite up to snuff, that's okay. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the postseason, which is not good enough. So if you hear me criticizing him or see, hear me, see me criticizing him on social media, uh, that is what I'm being critical of, not what he can do in the regular season. He is a good NBA player who can do good minutes in the regular season, just fine, contribute to winning, all that good stuff, but he is a liability in a postseason setting. It's interesting. I mean, it's... um. He's kind of in no man's land, even if he is effective. You know, he's not a carbon copy of Porzingis or Horford, so you can't, like, really plug him in uh, to kind of keep things consistent. And he also doesn't really give you a different look because he's not a great shooter. He's not a great post player. He, he's a solid big man, as you're identifying. So I would be curious if they try to bring in a big man, not just who's more reliable uh, or more effective, but looks more like Porzingis or does something completely different just to – um, keep things a little different. But I don't know. Maybe Cornette can... I mean, he has been an effective three-point shooter in his career. He should be a good lob threat. Like, maybe they can turn him into that, that kind of gear shift off the bench if they need to. But, yeah, if we're nitpicking things or storylines to be concerned about, I suppose Luke Cornette is one of them. Um, okay, let's go around the horn with just NBA news, and then we'll visit this conversation you had with Derek Fisher, which you have been humble about. I, I mean, listeners, that's a big deal. Derek Fisher doesn't knock on everyone's door saying like, Hey, you want to have a conversation? So Justin is too humble and too proud to say how cool it is, but uh, good job out of you. Okay. Okay. I want to pause the action here and tell you that you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel America's number one sports book right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks. If your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, and you can take a look at things like spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager is required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required bonuses are issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt see terms at sportsbook.fandle.com hope is here gambling help line ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24 7 support play it smart from the start go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234 okay back to the action or our bosses whatever i don't know anyways again congrats to the white family i'm sure you share that sentiment with me congrats to the nba for creating a, st- a storyline that has legs in these hideous ugly courts um did you hear i heard this on the hoop collective the other day that some of the courts three-point lines were incorrect and they had to paint them day of they had to fix it you know what i think about these courts if they want the players to really be into it uh take all the money they spent on those courts and give it to the players yeah i just can we just, can we do a minute on how stupid the end season tournament is? I think I'm fine with it as long as we don't have any like real major expectations. Like they seem like they're kind of trying to set us up for, like just let it have like a little bit of significance this year, and then a little more, and then a little more. 
as things kind of like develop, right? No, I'm not. I I like the premise, but a okay. So if you're an average consumer, either someone who watches half of the Celtics games, or like I would hazard the average NBA consumer watches five Celtics games a year, right? This is the most confusing thing to figure out. It has a stupid name. You you like sit there thinking it like, doesn't well, have a name. It does yeah, not think, have a name. You think they're like, oh, I gotta click something else because I don't even know what it's called yet. Doesn't have a name. The group A West group is also stupid and hard to remember. It would have been super corny if it was like the Havlicek group and the Korean group or whatever, but at least it's memorable and organized. The point system is inconsequential because it's gonna be weeks and weeks and weeks. And then the marketing with these courts in these jerseys are so ugly. The commercials are good though. I commercials have been really good. in anything I will watch it. Yeah. Um not important at all, but apparently Michael Imperioli like really believes in ghosts. To do with that what you will. Anyways, I I just I, I'll get off this. Sometimes I struggle with the NBA as a cheesy product, probably geared towards teenagers and not, you know, the, the American Corona, the way that like the NFL does prestige so well. I just this is this is for no one. Not that the product is a dumb idea. I think the tournament is a cool concept. And to your point, you could maybe convince the players as such. But just as like an entertainment product and like introducing this to uh, ordinary fans, what the hell? <laughs> also, if I didn't speak English or I wasn't you know native to the language, I'd be so confused because it's not easy. Anyways, we'll get off it. I hope this. <laughs> I hope it generates many clicks and podcast conversations to come. The Celtics happen to have fine jerseys and a, a fine court. The Heat, ju- whatever the Heat have done to deserve this. That court and those jerseys stink. The best, uh, so he, Kim is referencing uh, some really stupid verbiage on uh, the the court near the basket uh, in the restricted area that babbles on and on about heat culture that matches very poorly slash well, depending on your perspective of the new heat culture jerseys, which are also hideously ugly. And the best thing I've heard that uh, being described as getting high on your own supply. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's I, I wish I could remember who said that, but that sums it up to a T. And is a good teaser for your conversation with Derek oh, Fisher. Geez, yeah, it is. Okay. It is indeed. A few other things. I can't believe I, I however much I was rooting for the in-season tournament, I can't believe how unappealing a product they have made it. Um what else we got in the news? Uh you talked about Mexico City games. Do you want to take 30 seconds on that just to really fluff it out? Uh Atlanta Hawks, Orlando Magic are coming here. Uh I also cover the Capitanes. Uh so let me give a little shout out to the folks over at How About Them Celtics who have been talking about a Kenneth Fareed uh move for Boston's third big. I don't think it's gonna happen because of his injury history, but uh Kenneth Fareed was pretty happy to hear about that when I asked him. Uh so Probably we'll be seeing a bit of them this week as well because it's their opening week. I will try to scrounge up as much uh, Celtics-oriented content as I can here in Mexico City, which, as you might imagine, is no easy task, but I will do my best. Fair enough. Speaking of big men possibly joining the Celtics, Daniel Tice uh, was really happy to talk to Brian Robb, Mass Lives Brian Robb, about possibly joining the Celtics. Um, The math is a little wonky there, so if you were like, oh, it's happening, he makes about $9 million. I talked to Yossi Goslin of Hoops Hype to make sure I understood this. 
unless Boston is going to like trade out Horford or something, they would need to use the Grant Williams six ish million dollar TPE to have enough salary probably to, to get to that. And then they would need to wait two months. So if Tice is going to join the Celtics by way of trade in February, Boston needs to use the Grant TPE in like December. Tice could also get bought out. He does have two years left on his deal. So maybe a little less likely. And I'm sure Indiana could trade him for something of value. So exciting. Good pull for uh, B-Rob. Uh, I would be unlikely. I would welcome it, but unlikely. Okay. Um, in a moment, let's transition to your conversation with Derek Fisher. Before that, I'll do our post-roll. But before that, just because I have been very bad with my... I'm going to pull up the NBA standings right now. It's unclear what is a trend line and what is early and significantly uh, statistically insignificant. But is there any storyline or team or player that you just want to shout out right now from the early goings across the NBA? Yeah, I want to shout out uh, Marcus Smart and Rob Williams for being amazing members of the Celtics organization and now are dealing with being parts of other organizations where their seasons are not going well. Uh, I'm really hoping that whatever happened to Rob's knee in Portland, uh, ironically against Memphis and Marcus Smart, is minor inconsequential, just a little tweak or something like that. Uh, Obviously, Mm -hmm. we all know why it could be worse than that. Uh, and then Marcus Smart's situation, he's just, uh, I think they got the first win of the season uh, in over either five or six yeah. games uh, in that game, which is like, that's just like the, it's like Celtics hell for those guys right now, because like he basically got the win at the expense of his former teammate. And it's not looking all that great in terms of the roster health of the Grizzlies or, you know, the Portland Trailblazers, but the latter's on purpose. So it's not such a big deal. Uh, I'm just hoping that Rob gets well soon. I hope Ricky Bobby gets well soon. He's just finished his lunch and now he's coughing. He's got kennel cough. Um, yes, shout out to Brad Stevens for maybe making a move faster than consensus in a smart way. Speaking of uh, just funny tread lines in the NBA, the 76ers are 4-1 and one without James Harden and the Dallas Mavericks are 5-1 uh, and one predominantly without Kyrie Irving. I'll just let that float for a little bit. Okay, you've been listening to the Celtics Lab Podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Through the magic of editing, you're about to enjoy a conversation between our Dr. Justin Quinn and the Derek Fisher and Derek Fisher's wife, whose name is... Gloria Govan. And let's be clear, Gloria is an important part of this interview as well. Uh, They are going to be talking about what they are doing with some other Celtics. you might know this Paul Pierce fellow, uh, Gary Payton as well. They, um, well, I'll just let you hear it, but let's just say it's not legal in all 50 states. Uh, I'm biting my tongue again because there's a lot of jokes you can make about that one. Okay, thanks for listening. Like and subscribe if you haven't. And I'm going to disappear, but you all will now enjoy this conversation between Dr. Justin Quinn and the Fisher family. Adios. Okay, so... I wanted to talk to both of you about all the things that you're working on. I wanted to thank you for taking some time with me to, to talk about these things today. Uh, but let's dive in. Um, I wanted to start with Gloria, uh, with your role in founder, uh, role as founder of Relentless Brands. Uh, you're very busy, as I was just talking to you before we started recording. How do you guys balance all of this stuff we're about to talk about? 
Oh, yeah, no, thank you. I mean, being an entrepreneur, I think really has um, a lot of similarities with being like a, with being a mom and, you know, kind of managing a household and uh, we're a blended family and we have five kids and a dog who's nuts. Um, so we are constantly having to lean on one another, you know, to go, okay, you got the kids, I got the kids. Okay, who's making dinner? Did you pick up the grocery? You know, like we're, we're it's a constant flow and I think that lens it's really brought um that type of I guess like skill into being an entrepreneur because during um while building a company I have to wear a lot of hats you know I was just saying like I sometimes I'm the CEO and other times I am literally the janitor um and you know and everything in between you know we party planning, um, you know, identifying brands. And what I really love about Relentless is that it's, I call it the picks and shovels of the industry. It's very 360. Although we are vertically integrated and we own our own licenses, um, we also help identify brands, market brands, create elevated events, you know, because we can't do certain things within the industry. We can't advertise. We can't market, especially not on radio, social media, TV. So we've had to become creative. Um, so, you know, really creating different events, different um, opportunities to highlight and showcase the different brands that we have. We work with Whoopi Goldberg and Paul Pierce and sorry and uh, <laughs> Gary Payton. He played for an LA team once. That's true. You know, just, just a little bit. <laughs> He's a sweetheart. Um, we're working with Bill Bellamy and Tiffany Haddish, but um, you know, Relentless I think really is a brand and a company that people come to when they want to develop, you know, their own strain, their own merchandise, especially within the industry. So I think we really lend those services, um, you know. Uh, really well and help managing, um, you know, brick and mortars, cultivation sites, you know, compliance, things of that nature. So, um, but it's, it's overlap, you know, a mom, you know, an entrepreneur, like literally almost one in the same. So. <laughs> cool. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week you'll hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah. So you got into this, as I understand it, because of your mother's uh, breast cancer diagnosis. Uh, something similar happened in my family uh, that made me aware of the medicinal uses of cannabis. Um, could you tell me more about how you got to hear from there? Absolutely. Yeah. And I've actually been in the space about 10 years. Um, and it was, you know, because of my mom's diagnoses, when she was first diagnosed, she did the chemo and radiation. But when it came, when the, her uh, breast cancer came back, she physically could not do any more chemo and radiation. So at that point, it was a very difficult crossroad between, you know, experiments, um, you know, testing, alternative medicine, or, not. <laughs> and she's a fighter. She's a fighter all day. Um, so we chose, you know, we chose the latter. And I think I, I certainly contribute, um, you know, that research and those experiments, you know, to her recovery. 
you know, so, and it was interesting. I mean, you know, being with Derek, um, obviously being a huge, you know, athlete and a competitor, cannabis wasn't, it has never necessarily been in his sphere like that, you know, so I've actually enjoyed um, educating, you know, even him on, you know, the, the industry in general, the different, um, you know, compliances, just the, just the space and how much it's developed. I mean, we've been together almost 10 years. So he has certainly seen my journey from it being, you know, non-traditional to, you know, licensed. And I think that was a big adjustment for us because 10 years ago, cannabis was not where it is today. I mean, I literally was, you know, on the uglier side <laughs> of cannabis 10 years ago, you know, and it was scary. Yeah. Sure. yeah. It was scary for him. And for me, there were times where I would like come home and be like, "Woo, that was intense, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, yeah, but it's been really fun. And um, sometimes I feel like I'm glutton for punishment. I'm like, I must enjoy like ridiculousness because I chose a hell of an industry to be in. I'm like, she's Louisa. But um, it's been really cool too to see, you know, Derek get behind me. He, I think he's starting to enjoy the development as well. Um, you know, just kind of seeing where I've gone and where the company itself is really, you know, become today and where it's going. So um, it's been really cool. So get, for the uneducated on the topic, uh, give us a little bit of understanding as to why you helping to professionalize, shall we say, the industry in the way that you are is so important, given even now the, the stigmas and other, you know, hurdles you guys have to help people get over. Absolutely. I think you kind of, you know, hit the nail on the head. It's really about, um, you know, changing the traditional stigmas in the industry, you know, being in, you know, being a professional, a functioning professional, a mom, there are so many um, similar, amazing people, you know, that really benefit from the, from this plant. And I think for me, that's been a really um, heavy point to drive is that, you know, a lot of this traditionally systematic, um, you know, rumors of, you know, bogus fat, like, you know, so many like crazy things that they've said about cannabis in general has been really, um, it's really makes me sad to see. And it's really frustrating. And I feel like if I have an opportunity that I do to be impactful and really, you know, be a part of changing what that looks like, um, then I, I want to do that. You know, I, I really want to be a part of that, you know, story changing and, and creating a new narrative because, it's, it really is. Um, and it, for me, I know personally, it's been, a, it's been a miracle, you know? So, and I want, I want people to understand that. So another thing that really stood out to me was how you really work to include people of color in this industry. So I know why, but maybe you could tell our audience why that's so important. Absolutely. You know, again, going back to like it being historically and traditionally like, you know, stigmatized on people, black people, brown people, especially underserved communities. I mean, essentially the industry itself, cannabis has been built on the backs of those, you know, of those who have are still, you know, in jail that are really, you know, the war against drugs has really been affected by the war against drugs. And I think it's important, um, you know, to give us an opportunity. You know, I speak directly because I too am, a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm a minority. I'm a woman, you know, I know people that have been affected and are still in, you know, in jail for small things like selling weed on the corner. And now it's a, almost a trillion dollar industry. 
Um, and I just don't think that that's fair. And I get, I'm in a position, especially with Ulta Fund, being a general partner there and giving people an opportunity to, um, you know, be impactful, to help them build generational wealth, you know, to change their narrative and their stories um, is, is if I can be a part of that, like that, that alone is enough for me. And, um, you know, especially with Ulta Fund being an owner, you know, we are, it's a real estate specific fund and, um, you know, giving people uh, that look like us, you know, that can really benefit from this opportunity to be real estate owners, you know, to be an owner of something really tangible that could change not only their lives, but the lives of generations moving forward. Um, I want to, I also want to be a part of that. So I think it's really important too. And lastly, for women, we receive less than 2% of all funds raised, less than 2%. I think we're at 0.07. <laughs> and it is almost impossible to build anything without money, you know, so, ha- so to have those type of relationships, uh, to be able to, you know, inspire and encourage those to really get into the industry, but not only that, really support and educate those on how you can get into the industry legitimately, you know, with, you know, with funds, I mean, the the rate of return with women led companies is significantly higher you know sorry guys than men led companies I'm and surprised you know and it's just again because i think um we genetically have an like have it we kind of could do it all you know i love you guys both but <laughs> we're pretty awesome so <laughs> so if you could tell me I ran across this concept of inclusive wellness that I think maybe we should talk about, given what we've just been talking about. What is that all about? Absolutely. Inclusive wellness is not only a skincare uh, line, but it's also what we like to call is just it's community within the wellness industry. Um, You know, we have, especially in America and just really just in general, the beauty standards of, you know, are so unrealistic, you know, especially again for women. I mean, we have very high standards of what we're supposed to look like, be how we're supposed to behave, you know, what we're supposed to wear, et cetera. On a, on a consistent basis, we're supposed to be this thing. And that really, that creates anxiety, depression, you know, um, body dysmorphia, just so many different, you know, um, so many different just anxious characteristics that are really unnecessary. And for me, it started during COVID um, because I realized that I think in that time, it created this like, um, it created this pause in people, you know? And then I think they really started to tap into some of those things because you didn't necessarily have to wear makeup as much, you know, you could kind of be in sweats. And so it created this, like, for me, it was about this opportunity to um, speak to and support how much self-care is really important. And I think all of that I tapped into or and have going on really speaks to one another. So my mom actually was an influencer in inclusive as well, because for me, being a mother of 10, she very seldom took care of herself. And I was actually really angry with her when she got, when she was diagnosed. And although as selfish as that is, I was like, well, you're being selfish. Like you don't take care of yourself. You don't go to the doctor. You don't do, you don't do, you don't do. And like, so, and you know, and now you have breast cancer, you know what I mean? Like, and so I think for me, that was an important part of going, no, 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 no. Self-care is important, you know, self like, and that's what inclusive, it kind of blossomed into this, like, even if you just take an hour and that's where the routine came in, you know, it's, it's a skin cleanser, it's a charcoal mask, it's a body moisturizer, but it also, Unfortunately, when you 
um, you know, when you look good, you feel good, you know? So we wanted to start there as well and let people know that, but, but it's not just about the exterior, you know, it really is about identifying, uh, you know, supportive community and Derek's actually, um, you know, his high school has been really cool and identifying these like wellness, you know, retreats and wellness conferences and, and, um, where they call assemblies, you know, um, asking his boys and his team to do like yoga days and, you know, self-care, you know, wellness days, um, you know, making better choices and eating and things like that. But it was um, inclusive for me as a passion project and it, but it really does speak to my heart, you know, so. Very cool. My yeah. wife is a yoga, yoga professor. So I definitely know all the benefits of that. Uh, that's really cool. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit uh, being, being as that I cover, sorry, Derek, the Celtics uh, as my primary focus, you said that you did a little bit of work uh, with Paul Pierce, and I've also read that you've done some work with Gary Payton. Tell me a little bit about how they've been involved, what they've done with you and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yes. Gary and Paul are some of our clients um, and they've been they've what we've done for them is identify and build out a brand specifically um, for each of them. Uh, Paul's actually strand in in Massachusetts has been really welcoming, of course, um, and it's done really well. And, you know, in the stores and, and uh, presentations out there. Um, but we are also with Gary identifying a new he wants to, you know, create a clothing line. Um, he's, you know, creating a, a merchandise and development, um, you know, like jerseys. He wants to do, you know, do a whole line of that as well, which is also some of the services that we um, offer. But um, they've been really awesome. You know, they both have supported the different events because, again, we can't market and advertise. So with one of our other subsidiaries called Bella Flora, we've created an ele like these elevated experiences. We were actually one of the first companies to do something with the Phoenix Suns. And both Paul, Gary and Derek actually came out to support that event. It was a 3v3 um, it was a 3v3, you know, tournament on the Phoenix, in the Phoenix Suns at the Footprint Center. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of funny to see, not, I wouldn't say rivals. Well, I guess rivals, but you know, they're all really good friends. Like, you know, I know Derek had a good time. I think Derek actually told me a story that Gary told him, you know, cause they, um, you know, like when they played and, um, you know, and then just to see Paul be competitive during basketball, like it's still very much so at the core of them. Um, but they are, they're great. And what they're doing in the cannabis space has been really special too. And I'm excited for some of the uh, future products that they'll be coming out with. Very cool. Yeah. What, what else should we know about Relentless Brands and its future? Um, you know, what I, I would say about Relentless is that we are continuing to build and identify ways in which that we can help, um, highlight and showcase the cannabis industry in a positive light. Um, we do have some events coming up, like Whoopi Goldberg will be launching Emma and Clyde for Whoopi. Um, we have some additional, like we're doing an HBCU tour here coming out next year about educating, you know, kids within the space, just to let them know that this is a trillion dollar industry. And there are a lot of places that they can get involved. Um, education will, you know, we really want to continue with the education of the space and how uh, well and impactful that this can be changing generations, both past, present, and the future, you know, with the different stigmas and, uh, you know, some of the, you know, traditional st statistics. Um, so yeah, Re Relentless is good. It's going to be around for a while and I'm pretty excited about what we have going on. Excellent. So Derek, I I've had you, uh, 
patiently waiting to to talk with me and i i really appreciate that but i want to ask you beyond being supportive what is your role and what we've talked about so far in your words um beyond being supportive yeah i mean um i think pretty clear you're yeah. pretty supportive but like i know you do more stuff than just be supportive no i think i think supportive sums it up really well and then within the support it's I think it's managing or or wearing different hats yourself, right? Some of it could be support uh, in terms of you know just conversation and discussion uh, discussions and idea sharing. Um, it could be support in terms of you know providing some level of awareness to Gloria or to her partners um, about a project or initiative that they're working on that uh, you know someone from an outside perspective, so to speak. Like here's another way to think about it. Here's another thing to consider, um, you know, as you guys are putting this event together, putting uh, this plan or initiative together. Uh, you're planning events that include other, uh, you know, stars and celebrities and athletes. Like here's what my experiences have been. And these are things that, you know, you guys should keep in mind, uh, you know, when you're asking, you know, folks to come and be a part of what we're trying to do. Um, some of it could just be at home if Gloria needs to just not talk for a while. And <laughs> uh, because when you're running companies and building businesses and, 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 and that leadership role 24 hours a day for seven days a week, like at some point you need to find some time to take care of yourself or herself, uh, which means, you know, she needs to be able to kind of take a step back, you know, let go of the wheel, let someone else lead. Um, and that could just be, you know, reminding her to not get up and take the, the kids to school in the morning and, you know, to try to steal that extra 30 or 40 minutes of sleep, uh, you know, so that she can continue to be productive in her day, you know, week, month. Uh, so I, I think supportive definitely has a bunch of different lanes that it can go down. Um, and it it has to mirror that entrepreneurial spirit, like you could wear one hat on one day and a completely different hat the next day. Uh, and, you know, it still all falls under the, that roof of just wanting to support your mate and your partner, um, not just in business, but in life as well. Very cool. So I bet some of the skills that you bring to bear doing that, uh, you picked up from your career, your post-playing career as a coach, which of course you have to wear a different hat for every player pretty much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What made you decide to coach after being a player? Um, I think it's my, you know, it allows me to still be intimately connected to the game of basketball. Like, it, it, it you know, it, it's hard to imagine completing my playing career and then just kind of going off into the sunset to do something else not basketball related. Um, so uh, coaching allows me to reinvest the resources that basketball provided me, I, I get to reinvest that into other people and into the game. And now, you know, specifically into our own three boys, um, you know, it's just such a rare opportunity and experience to have. And um, I, I think that's one of the reasons that coaching was attractive to me. Like it, I felt like there was more that I could give the game of basketball that, had given me so much. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know 
how how life would look had I chosen to do something else. I think we, you know, still you still find ways to be successful, right? Whatever life throws at you. Uh, but basketball for sure would have found its way back had I not chosen to go that down that path immediately after playing. So when you first started, it was with the New York Knicks. There was this rookie, I believe, your first year, uh, named Chris Stapps, who joined you. So given you know his game better than most people, what do you think of his fit with Boston this season? Um, yeah, no. So Chris was funny, right? He was the fourth pick in the 2015 draft, which was a byproduct of us being so terrible my first year. <laughs> that we ended up with the fourth pick. And some people were upset that we ended up with the fourth pick because we won a couple games late when people felt like we should have been tanking and trying to lose so that the pick could be higher. So when the draft lottery came and we ended up with the fourth pick, um, some people were upset still that we ended up with the fourth pick and not the first pick. I personally, number four is a great number in our family like many of I've worn number four my brother my nephews like number four is a great number so drafting Chris Stapps that year in 2015 uh, you just saw an immediate seriousness and ability to focus in a young player that you don't always see uh, when guys come into the league so now seeing him in Boston like he's he's a grown man now I mean he, he literally his beard is obviously not as salty as mine is but, you know, he has a beard. He's he's a grown man. And um, he plays – he's always played a very mature style of basketball. Um, but his confidence and he looks more relaxed and like he's enjoying basketball more. Uh, New York was a very challenging environment for him. Uh, a lot of expectations were placed on his shoulder. The organization was in a big transitional phase. And – I'm just happy to see Chris in a space where uh, he's playing for, I can, I can say great things about the organization, even though we're still battling it out for number 18. Always. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. so psyched. I'll, I'll talk to you about that in a second, man. But yeah, yeah, yeah. grew up yeah, watching you guys. I'm ready, but yeah, no, I think, uh, but I'm, I'm happy for Chris that uh, KP, that's mainly what more so what I call him um, that, He's a part of such a great and well-run organization. Um, I think Brad Stevens is one of the greatest basketball people alive. Um, how smart he is, not just as a person, but as a coach and now as an executive. Um, and, and I think Joe Mazzulla is the right type of coach and personality for, for Chris Stapps at this point in his career. And the team is about winning. And that's what Chris has always been about. So I'm, I'm just happy to see him now in a situation where all those things are, are aligned. So the next step for you after the Knicks was with the Los Angeles Sparks, if I, if I have that right. How is that different than coaching in the NBA, if at all? Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, the next step for me was dancing with the stars. See? You see how I put that together? Uh, <laughs> uh, and and that, that experience actually led to – you know, an, an even greater commitment to get into coaching. Like um, you spend so much time convincing athletes to like step outside of their comfort zone. And that's where all the great stuff happens. And I had never really done that, you know, to like step outside of my comfort zone and do something uh, in that way. So once I got back into coaching, you know, choosing to coach in the W kind of stayed along that path of 
Um, it's unconventional for a former NBA head coach to jump into the WNBA and start coaching, but um, why not? I've always been a fan of the women's game. I've always felt like it was high quality basketball. Um, and again, I, I love basketball and, and want to give as much as I can to it. So um, we have two daughters, I have a wife, I have a mom, I have a mother-in-law, I have sisters. I, like women run the world in a sense. And so I think as men, we can't just say we love, you know, what women are about and we want to support women in business and women in sports you know, and, and not actually show up and do something as well. So, um, so I was very fortunate to, to have had that opportunity to coach in the W and be a part of uh, such a historic WNBA franchise um, until the Aces won a couple weeks ago. The Sparks were the only, you know, the last team to have won back-to-back championships in the W since 2001-2002. Um, so I was very fortunate, and and now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm lucky to still have an opportunity to coach basketball at the high school level. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. Uh, Crespi Carmelite High School, uh, former state powerhouse, uh, D'Anthony Melton's alma mater, uh, London Parantes, Paul Mokeski for the older guys among us. <laughs> uh, why is that extra important to you to have this prestigious appointment? Um, I think the importance of, you know, having coached at the pro level and getting a chance to see players that were kind of coming out of the, you know, high school grassroots, you know, collegiate portal and the expectations that, you have for them as pro coaches, right? Like you, you make a lot of assumption that, okay, well, you must've been taught some of these things in high school and college before you got to the pros. And a lot of my experiences over the years were seeing many players reach those high levels that were still missing a certain level of understanding around footwork and timing and spacing and passing and shooting mechanics and, you know, basketball IQ, uh, watching film and understanding things about the game. Uh, so like as our boys kind of transitioned into kind of grassroots middle school, obviously as parents, you see things, you feel frustrated that certain things could be happening or should be happening. Um, the, the, just the combination of the timing where our boys are, the desire and love for the game of basketball like it just all kind of aligned at the right time. Um, and so there's a lot at stake. Like I want our boys to do well, but um, basketball is also something that you just can't, um, like the basketball guys are real people. <laughs> so so you have, to, you have to treat the basketball guys with a, a high level of respect. And so I don't, approach it differently because it's high school like I'm, I'm gonna coach it like it's the NBA or the WNBA like we're serious uh you know we're gonna be about our business and we're gonna try and help these young guys develop pro-like habits so that if they are fortunate enough to play in college if they are fortunate enough to play professionally at any point like they were taught some things in high school that that can last them a long time and I, I know that had I not been coached a certain way in high school, if I, if I were not taught certain fundamentals, I would not have been able to have a successful pro career in the way that I had. And, you know, I want to kind of try and play that role for some of our guys as much as I can. 
So you draw on your considerable professional MBA experience, I'm sure, in the role of coaching at any level. During that time, you had the opportunity to play against several players uh, who were former teammates. Uh, in particular, for me, one that stood out was Shaquille O'Neal. What was it like you know, going to war with him in a Lakers uniform, and then suddenly he's your opponent? Yeah, it's interesting, like, which is kind of strange now that I think about it. Like Shaq, you know, when Shaq was traded from the Lakers, went to Miami, um, helped build, you know, the championship foundation of that 2006 title team. Uh, you know, Shaq was traded in 04. I opted out of my contract, signed with the Golden State Warriors in 04. And so Golden State and Miami are almost like literally opposite ends of the calendar, I mean, of the of the map. And I, to be honest, I don't even remember playing against Shaq those few years, like the two years I was in Golden State and then one year in Utah. I remember playing against Kobe and like feeling sorry for, like I, I saw Kobe struggle with, those teams between 04 and 07, like it was rough. Uh, and I felt bad for, I saw like, he always had a fire about him that you couldn't put out. And I saw that fire soften or dampen during those three years. But with Shaq, I don't, I, w I bet you if we look back, he may have missed you know, you because Western Conference and Eastern Conference teams play oh, each other one, yeah, two times a year. Yep. And if he misses one of them, you could sometimes go a calendar year, almost two, without even playing against a guy. So I want I want to look back and think. What one thing I can tell you is for anybody that's ever played against Shaq, and I'm glad I didn't play the center position. It is not fun. <laughs> it is not fun, man. But he is one of the greatest human beings on the planet like he uh he just makes people laugh uh and and even though he's not human in size like he really kind of is very human when you get a chance to be around him and uh I think that's why he's been able to do so well in his life and, and career post-basketball yeah I'm a big co uh Shaq fan as well uh, I've been following some of his podcasts that he's been putting out and the man, he's like you guys, he has a, a finger in like all kinds of different little businesses. It's pretty cool. You mentioned Kobe now again with the Celtic stuff, but this is something I think you like a little bit more. Jason Tatum grew up the biggest fan of Kobe wanted to be a Laker. Sorry. We stole him. Happens. <laughs> he would later become a mentee of Kobe and models his game on Kobe. We all know the step back daggers that he loves to drop that look almost like a mirror image of Kobe's, but you know, Kobe's game, like very few people do. Uh, and Kobe himself as a person, do you see anything else in Jason Tatum's game that you can see a connection to Kobe? Um, yeah, I think Jason's like, to some degree, he's becoming unflappable. And I, that was that was a characteristic that Kobe had that not many guys were able to have. Like, they, uh, they would just allow things to throw them off 
and they couldn't find their way back. Um, and Jason's had, you know, games and performances where it just looks like, when you think about the playoff run last year, it just looked like he wasn't going to be able to get it going that night. And then, you know, the performance he put together in Philly after missing every shot he, <laughs> every shot he took, and then some of the shots that he made, you know, late in some of those playoff games, like that, that's something that Kobe was capable of doing where he could still will us to win without necessarily playing great himself because of just how cool and calm and relaxed he was and how driven he was. Like it was, it was infectious to the rest of us. So even when he wasn't at his level, like the rest of us were at higher levels than we would be without him. And I think Jason has that ability almost regardless of his individual performance. Like every team he plays on is going to be really freaking good because you feel like you got the best player on the floor on your team. Um, and that's, you know, it's a small list of guys that are in that category. Yeah. His ability to, have a good game when his shot is not falling is something that has really been growing in recent years too. And I, I think that yeah. is definitely tied to that Mamba mentality. Uh, moving back to the present a bit on top of everything else you guys do, you also do some nonprofit work, including the be better foundation and the team Derek Fisher girls and boys AAU programs. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, when we, you know, we are both people that like to show up um, to things that we're involved in. So um, with, with both the foundation and the girls program, like we really try and roll our sleeves up and, and be as fully present as possible. And we've started finding ways to blend what Bella Flora does and, and is about in terms of events and, and bringing great people together with the foundation so that we can have impact both in corporate and business, um, as well as in the community. And over the last couple of years, that's that's worked out really well for us. Um, you know, we just want to make a difference. Like we, we, we know that coming from the communities that we were born and raised in, whether, you know, in the Oakland area and Bay Area, whether in Little Rock and then now our home being in L.A., um, we just try to serve folks that, aren't always best served. And whether that's young people of color, whether it's women of color, uh, whether it's from a social justice perspective and, you know, fighting for the rights of folks that have been convicted in terms of cannabis charges and crimes that um, need to be or should be overturned, or even just as they are getting their lives back on track and looking to serve their community and make sure that they are not just standing by while people are wrongfully, you know, um, accused of things or held back in different ways. Uh, we just, we, we try and do our part in those areas. Um, and then with the, and that's more so through the foundation. Uh, and then with, with our, our girls and boys, you know, basketball club team and AAU programs, um, you know, sports a powerful thing. And we feel like sport allows us to access the hearts and, and minds of young people than compared to if we just tried to walk up to them and tell them a bunch of stuff. Uh, so, you know, so through basketball and sport, we just try and find ways to 
build into some life skills and life lessons and things that it's not really about trying to tell them that they're going to make it to the NBA or WNBA. Um, it's really just trying to help them be involved in something positive, feel the essence of being part of a team and part of a group, thinking less about yourself and, you know, what's important to the team. Uh, those are lessons that you're going to need in this life if, if you want to do well. If, if you're only thinking about yourself, it's, just, it's not going to work out. So we just we try to do that through our teams. That's really cool. That really actually struck a chord with me because as a trained anthropologist, as I was telling Gloria off air, uh, one of the reasons uh, I'm into covering sports journalism, which I didn't get to mention, is that people will have conversations with you through sport that you couldn't normally have otherwise. And for example, I was able to talk with one of Joe Biden's COVID czars during the pandemic because of sports. Whereas if I had done it as an anthropologist, if I even got the opportunity, my audience would have been so much smaller and frankly, not as useful. So the way that it can unite all kinds of different ideas and stuff like that, I think is a really important tool. And I'm glad to hear you guys are using it. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. As a Gator alum, uh, there is a certain beverage on the market who I'm not going to give any more advertising because it doesn't need it. Uh, so tell me about barcode because I, I, when you get older in particularly, it's very easy to get dehydrated as I have learned you can even do as a sports writer. <laughs> so tell me about barcode. Yeah, no, barcode's um, the, the next best you know, fitness, water, and, and sports beverage, um, healthier, all natural, all vegan. Um, we don't have to hate too much on what everybody else is doing. Like, just look at our bottles, look at our packaging, look at our ingredients, uh, look at where the, it's available. And we, we feel like it's a, a better and superior beverage to serve in terms of hydration purposes. Uh, but also just wellness and performance. Uh, a, a lot of women and people that are not elite athletes enjoy the beverage uh, because it isn't only about sport. It's about putting great things in our bodies that are going to allow us to be healthy and thriving people. Um, and then, yeah, it helps to have Victor Wimbanyama as the face of your product uh, because he is literally the face of everything at, <laughs> at this point uh, and deservedly so. He's a great young man great family uh and we feel very fortunate as a brand that uh he chose us he had other options but uh he's he's a young man of substance we're a brand of substance and uh you know we we hope to continue to build over the years very cool i've also heard that you have a broadcasting gig coming up with spectrum sports is that correct yeah i've kind of you know as you talk about all the things that we have going on um uh, you know, dabble in, in some of the, the sports analyst work from time to time. Um, I was, you know, with the job now at Crespi, what, you know, I'll, I'll pick and choose the right amount of time. Um, but I, I love talking basketball. The, the family always laughs at me when we're at home and I'm watching the game and I'm not just sitting watching it. I'm literally standing like I'm coaching it. And then I'm rewinding the play and going over the game and replays and, talking to the kids about, see, you need to shoot the ball this way. You should jump more forward. Like, so, so working for Spectrum Sportsnet kind of allows me to get some of that energy out. And then that way, when I get home, Gordon doesn't have to listen to me talking basketball. It's time to just go to sleep at that point. 
I might have to do something like that myself. Uh, so my wife <laughs> doesn't get mad at me. Uh, any chance uh, in the NBA Finals that we get a game between a pickup game between you and Eddie House and Scal uh, for the old days? Because see, see what I did there. See what I did there. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I have no desire to. You're not going to interview us. Yeah, you're not going to interview us next year, and we're having to explain to people why we have ruptured our Achilles. We're still trying to play pickup and 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 relive these 15 year old days. Like, nope, no thanks. I'm good. Just you know, I mean, you guys won one. We won one, and uh, now the the battle is for number 18. We'll let these young guys have it. Do you think there's a good chance that they can actually meet in the finals? I do. I hope so. I, I think the NBA could use it. Um, the the individual storylines are great. Uh, I, I don't think talent is the question in the league anymore, but people are really looking for, you know, genuine rivalries. They're, you know, sportsmanship is cool, but, you know, NBA fans do want to see some some dislike and and they want to see guys that are making the amount of money that these guys are making really appear at least to care more about the winning part than the money part and rivalries are how that starts to live itself out like you don't necessarily want to always see guys hugging it out after the game you want to know that they really don't like each other and, and there's at least and, on the court right yeah I at mean, least yes at least on the court yes no not not personally at all yeah. uh, but you know when you think about like the warriors kings kind of thing starting to bubble and develop because of the, the, the playoff matchup, I, I just think that the league would benefit from a Lakers-Celtics finals matchup again, while definitely not being surprised if two other teams make it to the finals. I, I just think that the league is really um, – it, it's top-heavy in some sense, but you also have four to five teams in each conference that could break through. Every year you think the Miami Heat are done, they figure out a way to to get to the finals. Um, obviously, the Bucks are a real threat. I think the Sixers are going to be better than people think they are, you know. And then the Celtics are, you know, right there. And then in the West, it's you know, if, if all, if, imagine <laughs> if all of those teams are healthy. Like imagine what that looks like. Well. I've kept you guys for considerably longer than what we originally agreed to for this interview. And I don't want to eat up any more of your day. I'm really, really thankful that you were so gracious with your time. Anytime either of you guys ever want to talk with me about any of this stuff, reach out. I would love to chat with you more. Awesome. Yeah, no, thank, thank you, Justin. Justin. Appreciate you. Yeah, anytime. Well, Good luck. and uh, Have a great rest of the day. You too. Yeah, enjoy. Right. Be, be careful you. that hurricane, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> 